protests, we walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Welcome to the program. Great to have you with us. Kirk and Jacks, ready to roll. We have a great conversation coming up with a great high school football coach in Atlanta named the Falcons Coach of the Year. This man wakes up early in the morning to make sure the building's open. Man's got bus duty. Man's got uh, practice. He, sometimes after practice, he's driving them home, Kurt. All right, yeah. sun up to sun down for uh, Derek Avery. We'll congratulate him and talk about his story and path ahead. Also, Swin Cash, she'll be here. Huskies, uh, as we tape, still yeah. alive, roll. Don <laughs> Cruz is gonna be fired up about that. Uh, we'll wrap up our celebration of Women's History Month with the Vice President of Basketball Operations and Development for the New Orleans Pelicans. But first, as we get ready for baseball to return uh, to uh, basically a regular formation of activity, uh, the Players Association is entertaining a discussion of ramifications, and we begin the show in Georgia. We'll keep it in Georgia for the first two-thirds of the program, but this one more disturbing uh, because of Georgia's decision as a state legislature to overall how its state elections are run uh, from ball accounts on the left, progressive side of things, uh, hindering uh, most people of color, most Democratic voters, most um, progressive-seeing people um, from having it as easy as it may have been, even though it was a challenge already, particularly in Georgia, to vote. Um, I'm a little concerned, Kirk, about the way the association head, Tony Clark, is talking about this. Um, He says, and this was from Friday, that the Players Association looks forward to having discussions moving the All-Star game from Atlanta this season uh, in response to this decision, very similar to what the NBA did. Uh, with Charlotte um, when they were dealing with LGBTQ issues in a, and, and not in a line with the values of the association. I'm looking forward. The players, uh, Clark says, are very much aware uh, as it relates to the All-Star game. We have not had a conversation with the league on that issue. If there's an opportunity to do so, we look forward to having that conversation. So open to a conversation, but I don't hear them leading that conversation. I don't hear him leading that conversation. I'm not going to go Hulk Hogan leg drop on the association. It's a missed opportunity. You should be leading this discussion. It's not even a question. You should be at the front of this. Um, it's kind of crazy, Jax, when I, I knew we were going to bring this story up because it, it all happened, I felt like, a couple weeks too late. Uh, the NBA just had its all-star game in Atlanta, and I felt that had this been a topic of discussion maybe three weeks to a month ago, 
I think the NBA players and the voices that they have, because it seems like when NBA players speak, Jax, the, their commissioner listens, right? <laughs> I mean, Adam Silver is listening. And if, he, if the players feel like, hey, we can't be in Atlanta right now, this is too much. And it hits home to too many of the initiatives that the NBA players of 2020 were really all about. This is really about what a lot of the guys were down in the bubble about, the social injustice and basically saying, look, this bill, this what is now been signed in the state of Georgia, it impacts a lot of the people in the communities that our NBA players live in. Now, when it comes to baseball, not as much. We know that is not necessarily primarily in a, a sport that's um, has a ton of African Americans in it. Right? And the black players in baseball are not what it once was. So and I just got floored the other day. I was looking, you know how much I love the Reds. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. One African-American made the opening day roster, Amir Garrett. Wow. And another man of color um, made it, but he's Dominican. And right. so I was like, my God. Like when we were kids, African-American players were at the height, about 20, 25% Correct. of the league. And it's just, it's just diminished, as you just noted. Yeah, it not only has it diminished, but I think a lot of the issues when it does come to, um, you know, the minorities in baseball, it seems to me that baseball, we're open to a discussion instead of, like you mentioned, they should be leading the discussion. Like, not only are we talking about the suppressing of voters, but then also, too, thinking about um, the, the stop Asian hate as well. If you think about just some of the issues that baseball now has to figure out, these are should be in the front. They should be say, hey, look, we are here to protect our players. But when a majority of your players are not of the minority, then it's kind of like, well, how much time do we put into this? Where I look at the NFL, I look at the NBA, I look at those sports and they have to be progressive. They have to be out in front because they know that they're, the people who are out there playing are the ones that these communities are, are affected by the most. Let's roll this down because you nailed something perfect. Dave Roberts, skipper for the Dodgers, who just stood out strong against right. the violence against Asian Americans, um, noted this situation, I've, and, and it's the strongest position I've seen, and I look forward to more coming out. But note that this All-Star game is set to be played on the 13th of July at Truist Park there in Atlanta. First time they've had it in 21 years. Wow. So I can understand the angst and anxiety to try to hold on to it. Right. But these are the messages that make change. Dave Roberts, who is in line to manage the National League team, uh, told reporters last week, he would consider declining the honor if Major League Baseball opts not to move the game out of Atlanta. That's taking a stand yeah. right there. That's, that's, that's a voice. First of all, that's a, a World Series coach leading voice, right? One of the better teams, the best team currently in baseball saying, hey, this is something that we've been thinking about. And I, I can tell you, I bet his players are on board as well. Um, it, this just goes to a, a deeper rooted issue for baseball. And first of all, we're going to have fans back in the stands, right? For the first time. Well, not for the first time, but obviously to but start in many cities season. and yeah, many in many cities. Yeah. Be, right. To, to start this season where last year, Maria was no fans, but I know you're trying to get the fans back, but also you want to have, keep your players happy. 
And, and this is something I think that's easy for them to come out. And how do we change this narrative? How do we change what people are perceiving of baseball? As to me, when I think of it, I just see baseball writing a statement, putting it on their website, and then moving forward to, to opening day. Instead of taking some of the actions that, that to me should help out should, should show baseball is at the forefront like they're about to take center stage as their season is starting why not do something to show hey look this is how we're going to start our season we want to make sure our players are heard we want to make sure obviously our asian community understands that we are united those are the things that baseball has to continue to do but it just seems jacks right now i i don't see enough of it we're talking about trying to restrict American votes of American citizens. And if that's not alarming to all parties, then everything that has been said, all the promos, the PSAs, it's all BS. Right. Like it can't, sometimes I think there's an outrage fatigue that mm. occurs, right? Right. Another shooting, not enough outrage. Right. Uh, restricting citizens, particularly of color, not enough outrage. Um, I see people turning their attention to this trial in Minneapolis, but it's almost this anticipation of being let down because the justice system has done that so many times. So when you have an opportunity and an easy one, I'm not saying that the, 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 the dynamics behind trying to get another city lined up for the all-star game this far down the line is simple, but right. the decision is, the impact you can make is so sweet. Think back again. I'm through the 2017. The NBA moved Charlotte, yeah. their All Star game out of Charlotte. After the, uh, the, uh, the anti discrimination protections uh, was enacted, and Charlotte yeah. didn't get that game back until they changed it. And that was the uh, they changed the, it and they got the game back. The bathroom initiative we're talking about. If you could, it was. That was part that of that. Was the centerpiece of it, correct? Yes. Yeah. Not having the the transgender bathrooms and all of the things like that. Like, come on, man. Like, people say that sports don't have influence, and they do. Like, people, you may not know the issues of going on in your community, your country, but all of a sudden, you know, you see your favorite sports player make say a message about something. You're like, oh, I need to do my research on this. What is he talking about? What am I missing? And that's what the power of athletes, the power of professionals, when people say politics and sports don't mix, man, they surely do mix. Trust me, because there are some things that for me, certain players speak out and I'm like, OK, well, I, I need to look at and, and make sure I do my homework on this and speak out as well. I mean, you mentioned the, the Derek Chauvin trial right now in Minneapolis, you know, mm -hmm. for, you know, what happened to the murder of George Floyd. Like when you're, we're seeing real time reactions from players, people of, of, uh, of power, you know, talking about this issue and how it brings us back to that moment when we first heard about all of this. So to me, Jax, I think baseball needs to tread lightly on this, right? They need to actually move forward. They can't be just hoping that something happens on its own. They have to be very proactive and figure this out quickly. I mean, we'll take a break. Keep an eye on that story with our eyes wide open. We're going to keep it in Georgia. A little bit later, we'll be in New Orleans with uh, the two-time NCAA champion, the three-time WNBA champion, Swin Cash, vice president from the New Orleans Pelicans. But when we come back, it's to Atlanta we go with the 2020 Atlanta Falcons coach of the year, uh, Derek Avery, the head football coach at Atlanta's Booker T. Washington High School. We'll visit with him 
when Forward Progress returns. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Forward Progress continues. It's Morrison. It's Jackson. And, and Kirk, we have a pleasure today because there's some people who realize that the work they do with young people goes beyond their title, goes beyond the expectation. And for consistent work, tireless dedication, both on the field and with young people in his school in Atlanta, Derek Avery was named the 2020 Atlanta Falcons uh, Coach of the Year, and he's with us here on Forward Progress. Coach, first of all, congratulations. I love these stories about how people hear about these honors first. We'll get to your full story in a second. How did the Falcons reach out to you and let you know that this was coming? Uh, they actually tricked me uh, because they, <laughs> it, was, it was fun because um, they invited my team, or they told me they were going to invite my team down for a draft day filming for the NFL. So I had no clue what, what was about to happen when it happened. So all of a sudden, we were uh, getting ready for a picture, and they asked me to step forward. And then they proceeded to tell me it wasn't about the NFL draft, it wasn't about anything like that. But you have been named the Sacramento Falcons Coach of the Year. And uh, my, all my colleagues, along with my wife and my kids, they all came out, surprised me, and they came from everywhere. So, so wait a minute, did everybody else know? Were you the only one that didn't know? I was the only one that didn't know. Uh, the, the players knew, the coaches knew, I was the only one that didn't know. So they, they really got me this time. That's fantastic. Coach, tell me about that moment. You mentioned, you know, your family, friends, uh, coaches, uh, the players, all around. Tell me about just how good it felt just to share that moment, how big of a moment that was for you, but to share that with all the people who are closest to you. Oh, it was a surreal moment, to be honest, man, to share that moment, especially with my wife for 24 years. Uh, and she knows the grind, the hard work that I go through each and every day to do what I do. She's she so supportive in all that I do. You know? And you don't do this for no, no fame or no glory, but you do it for the love. And I've been doing this for a very long time, and I do it for the love of the game, because I love football and I love sports. And I, and I knew at an early age, I wanted to be around sports all my entire life. It just gave me an opportunity to be around sports all my life to serve uh, kids uh, of all ages, uh, ethnic background, it doesn't matter. I just want to be able to serve the best amount of ability. And just to get this award, it just means a whole lot because uh, somebody from the, from the outside recognizes some of the things that you do. Even though you don't do it for the recognition, but somebody is, is paying attention to what, what you do. Coach, you are Atlanta through and through. We have Derek Avery with us here, the Atlanta Falcons Coach of the Year for 2020. Uh, you went to high school in that city after college. You came back. Uh, I, hell, they didn't even pay you at first, did they, at Booker T? Oh, they, they, they didn't. I, I came on uh, under the leadership of Rockin' Cofield because uh, uh, he was a childhood friend. And uh, I was fresh out of college, and we say just need some coaching. He had just started at Booker T probably two years or a year prior. He was trying to get the program off and running. And uh, I was out of college, man. I was very energetic, enthusiastic about coaching. So he gave me an opportunity to come on as a volunteer coach. I had no problem with doing it. Uh, I just wanted to be around sports, you know what I'm saying? So uh, he gave me an opportunity to come in and coach and be a part of the program. Uh, it just took off from there. 
And is there a different sense of pride that you have because it's kind of like having the city on your back a little bit, right? Like, you know where a lot of these kids are from. You grew up in those same streets. Is there a different sense of pride for your investment into not just the kids that you coach, but just the community in general? It, it is because, uh, like you said, I'm, I'm an Atlanta through uh, I'm a product of Atlanta public schools, and, and I, I really had no desire to go you know, as a coach. And, and, I, and I did stir out a little bit and went to, went to play, but it just didn't feel right. So, And I made my way back to the city because uh, I can relate better to those kids. Uh, I'm a product of the city of Atlanta. I grew up in the city of Atlanta, so I just want to be able to get something back to those type of kids that, that I can relate to. Uh, not to say I couldn't relate to those other kids, but I just felt obligated to get back to my own uh, community, things of that nature. So when I first got out of college, um, I was in that community as a college student at Morris Brown, which is about two, three miles up the road. I never thought I would be coaching it down the street at Booker T. Washington High School in my wildest dreams. Because everybody had the, the idea of going back to the old high school to coach. But when the opportunity presented itself, I had no other choice uh, but to take the opportunity uh, uh, to coach at Booker T. Washington High School. That's Derek Avery, the head coach there at Booker T. Washington in Atlanta. Walk us through this 2020 season and how challenging it's been with everything you had to get through uh, with protocols, health, safety, with young men, and still play well. Uh, when it first started, we didn't know we were going to play or not. So we was back and forth with Georgia High School, uh, with a lot of public schools about getting stuff in place for protocols, steps for us, how we going to get the kids in and out without mixing each other. We had to have three or four different groups of side kids that we had. The first time we over had over six kids participate in the program. Uh, so we was putting stuff together for us, putting groups together, which kids were this group, what time, and we still didn't know we was going to play. But it was, it was a great opportunity for the kids to get outside the realm of their homes because they were so, you know, so ready to get out because of what was going on. They had been inside since March. So when we got the nod to come, come in, 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 in June, it wasn't a hesitation from my coaches and myself that we was going to make this work somewhere or another. We did go inside the building. Uh, we did everything on the field from weightlifting to taking weights outside to setting up stations outside so we can social distance, things of that nature. So we made it to the season without, without a blemish, without anything. And we just stayed, stayed the course and made sure the kids were safe, follow all the procedures and protocols throughout. We just uh, made sure the kids came in ready to practice. Uh, they take, had to take everything home with them like it was a rec ball league. Uh, season, so they took everything home with them. They washed it. Uh, had to bring their own water. Uh, we had extra water on the sidelines just to take them bring their water. So we we did every step possible to get those kids opportunity to play. Uh, if they didn't have something, we made sure it's coaching group went out and got it. Water, it, it doesn't matter. We just want opportunity to play this, this past year, and uh, and it worked out in our favor. We was able to finish uh, seven three, made it to the first round of playoffs, uh, lost. Uh, and the great thing about this situation for me this year was I had a single-layer team. You know, these kids have been in the program for about four years. So it, it wasn't hard to put those ramifications in place. Uh, we just put everything on our seniors. Our seniors led like seniors this past season, and, 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 and they paid dividends for us by making the first round of playoffs. Awesome. Coach Avery, you make the playoffs. You, you have all this success uh, for the season. But when you think back, maybe five years from now, 10 years from now, to this particular season of 2020, 
was it more about the football or was it more about the education for your young people in terms of the voting process, helping out in the community, social adjust, social justice awareness? Like when you think back to 2020, what was bigger, the football or the voting aspect that took place, especially in the city of Atlanta, the state of Georgia? I don't think I'll take 20 years from now, five years from now. It's now. <laughs> now. It's right now in 2021. Uh, I think it was the voting initiative uh, because when when when, uh, when all this stuff started happening with the voter rights, uh, the social justice issues that we saw on TV, uh, we as coaches immediately got on the Zoom calls and started reaching out to the kids because a lot of kids was uneasy, unrest about what was going on and they didn't understand. So we as coaches in the state of Georgia got together on Zoom calls and came up with a plan, advised a plan. And so let's start getting Zoom calls to your players and start talking to your players about what's going on. So when the families made that call to me about uh, with some of their players and their social justice uh, team, they wanted to start this initiative about voter rights and things of that nature. And we got on that call, man, they reached out to some of the coaches. And I don't know if I was the first coach or the second coach, but when they said that, I said, I, I, I was on board, whatever you need us to do, and we have to stop practice, or whatever we need to do, we are on board about what's going on to get our kids, because our kids had so many questions. So when we got on that Zoom call that night with the faculty, they didn't have a clue what was going on. So when they got on that call with some of the guys with the faculty, and they, they laid out their plans, everybody was on board from day one. Uh, it wasn't, and, and it was a couple nights we had in practice early to start to do what we need to do. And then we got everybody on board from the cheerleaders uh, to the volleyball team, got all the kids involved who want to be a, be a part of what was going on. I'm Derek Avery here on Forum Progress, head football coach at Booker T. Washington High School in Atlanta and the Atlanta Falcons 2020 Coach of the Year, which makes you a nominee for the Don Shula NFL High School Coach of the Year, which, by the way, apparently you have the responsibility of keeping it in Atlanta because last year's uh, Falcons nominee uh, won that award. What would that mean to you? Oh, I mean a whole lot, not for myself, but the community as a whole. Uh, and, and it goes unnoticed about what we're doing in the, in the, in the 30314. You know what I'm saying? The community's changing, uh, but we still have like, a lot of resources in the community. And what we can do to build that community with the kids that we have in the community, we'll do anything. And I, I have those coaches on my staff and my school that's willing to go above and beyond. So they have, a, they have a trust on your side, the community on your side, the alumni on your side, means a whole lot when, when it comes to being the, the Don Shula coach of the year. You mentioned you had a senior-laden team last year. So when they all leave that program, what, what do they take with them? Or what do you hope that they take or gain after playing football and being coached by Coach Avery? Uh, a sense of pride. Uh, I, I remember when I first got the job in Washington, and I, and I was having a meeting with my coach that I asked, and I was telling them that I, I don't measure uh, wins and losses. By most coaches measure wins and losses on the field. But I measure wins and losses about what happens four years from with this kid. Because when you, when you get a kid, every kid is not going to make it to college. Every kid is not going to make it to the NFL. So you have that, that only 1% of those kids that make it to college or the NFL. So what about those 9%? What are those other 9% going to do? Are you going to make them husbands, fathers, uh, uh, law by buying citizens? That's how I measure my wins and losses. Not to send a kid to a trade school. And he come back a few years from now and say, Coach, I have a wife, I have a job. That's a win for me. You know what I mean? Because I made that young man or that young lady an outstanding individual. So 
That's how I make money in the law. So when the kid leaves my program, I want to be able to come back and give something back to the program. You know what I'm saying? Say, coach, if they come back and just speak to the kids about something, about what happened to them and anything, that's a win for me. I know, last thing before we let you go, Coach Avery, um, you mentioned it earlier. I know it was in your bio as well, but we, we talk a lot about the HBCU. It's part of our show as well, where we talk about the different universities and the initiatives that are going out to help out HBCUs. You're a Morris Brown graduate. Just just tell me how did Morris Brown shape you into the man you are today? Oh, Coming from a small school, especially playing football for HBCUs, you know, you don't have much. So the, the, the little that you have from HBCU, or the little that you get from HBCU, it makes you strong because it's a close-knit family. And, and some of the guys that I had as a freshman, you know, I came in and sat me down and talked to me about, you know, sometimes don't have NFL dreams when you come to a small school. But the one thing you do when you leave this place, you leave here with, with, with a degree, you know what I'm saying, that you can go and be a, be a good citizen. So being an HBCU graduate, you, make, you come in, you make sure you have a degree, you leave, man, and you go out there and just make change. And that's what we do at Morris Brown. We come in and we leave, and we leave make a change throughout the world. Coach, congratulations on everything. Uh, we're rooting for you for the Don Shula Award. Yes, Even sir. though we're in Florida and California, we'll go ahead and root for you. <laughs> we root for you. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me, too. An absolute pleasure, man. Derek Avery, the head football coach at Atlanta's Booker T. Washington High School, the 2020 Atlanta Falcons Coach of the Year. We'll take a quick break when we come back here on Forward Progress. She is one of the greatest female players of the game of basketball ever. I can just say she's one of the greatest players. We can take female right <laughs> off of it. Swin Cash will join us, the vice president of basketball and operations, basketball operations and development for the New Orleans Pelicans next with us when we return here on Sirius XM. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. We love excellence, so we turn to more of that as we continue here on Forward Progress. Kirk and Jax, she is the two-time NCAA champion. My, my last two UConn championships when I lived in Connecticut, by the way, uh, and the three-time WNBA champion, vice president of basketball operations and development for the New Orleans. That's how we say it, right? No. New Orleans. Nolans. <laughs> yeah, get it all out there. Swing cash with us here on the program. So we're going to start with what we need to start with. We're yes. taping this on Wednesday. I assume you've cleared your Friday night. Uh, yeah, I'll clear. <laughs> <laughs> How you great know. is it to see your school back in that I know for you all, it's about, it's about the title. I get that. It, but it's, it's nice to go through yeah. the progression, right? It is. It is. Um, it's going to be difficult because we actually play on Friday night. Oh so you're probably going to see me in the stands with my phone. And so it's it's one of those things where y'all going to have to just, you know, let, let me do what I do for that night. So if I'm cheering and they're like nothing happened in our game, just know I'm also watching the UConn game. <laughs> I know the uh, Kirk as, as a team employee in this association. Yeah the Miami Heat for 17 years. I know executives have the right to tell their broadcast teams, do not put the camera on me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my UConn Husky deal. That conversation may happen. Yeah, yeah right, but we, under, but we understand why, though, Jax. We understand because it's an important game. And I think just the bigger part is that you came from an institution that has just – it's been greatness. When, when I hear UConn women's basketball, um, obviously my ears perk up because the excellence for so many years and it's still ongoing. 
what is, what is it about UConn that people don't know? Like we, we see the wins, we see the coaching, we see the toughness, the great players, but what is it that we don't know? I think one of the things um, that people don't know about the program is just the um, the growth that happens with you as a young student athlete, um, because you're taught a lot of things about playing the game of basketball, but a lot of the things that the staff um, pours into you also is going to apply after you finish playing the game and the excellence that is demanded every single day, the attention to detail every single day, it builds character in you and it makes you have to go through this progression of achieving your goal. And so every year the goal is yes, to win a national championship, but the things that you learn throughout the season, it builds you in a way that whenever you do turn pro, whether that's playing professional basketball, whether that's in the corporate space or becoming an entrepreneur, people, say it all the time there's something different about those UConn players and right. so that makes me feel really good great to have Swin Cash with us here on Forward Progress it's I had this wonderful pleasure the other night of introducing to Heat fans specifically this great feature that you hit cleanup in uh, that the NBA put together about the women of prominence connected to the NBA and its many leagues uh, first of all what it mean what did it mean to you to be a part of that and as I said to your championship uh, sister, uh, Ruth Riley Hunter, who sits next to me every night, this just feels normal in the NBA. It feels like this is the environment where the progressive thinking and the enrichment of people of color really fosters and allows the other leagues to get their act together. Absolutely. I think the NBA has always been on the forefront of really um, just the progression of women, not not only um, women that have played the game, but referees, like, you know, every aspect of our business, women are now being empowered to not only be in the space, but to take up space. Um, and so I think that's something that I, I'm really just excited about. Um, and I was excited to be on that feature too. Like, it's, I mean, it's really, really cool to just know, and it's a humbling feeling that the NBA will want you to be a part of it. Because I take kind of my role and responsibility very serious in understanding the space and having a platform to be a role model. And I know that people are looking at what you're doing every day and, and how your job's going. And so that feature was really cool. Thank you. Yeah. But when you think about uh, just back to your you know WNBA career and also being a leader there and being a vocal leader, especially in issues, especially issues that are going on right now, Swin, like when you started to have that voice and people kind of start to follow you a little bit, did you feel like added pressure? Like, OK, now this is who I am. I'm always going to be this way. Or did you have to recruit more people to say, come, come help me out because I can't do it all by myself? Yeah, you know, I think I was put in a position early um, being on the executive committee uh, with the union, going through a number of CBA negotiations, understanding <laughs> what the makeup of the league was, where we were right. trying to go. And there's just something, and I'll say this, as, as a black woman, there's certain things that we're raised and exposed to in America. Right. And so whenever things happen in the WNBA, for me, it wasn't this aha moment of I want to be a leader. I'm ready to be a leader. It was more so I was already built for this and I understand it. And how can I make the change for my nieces and women to come 
behind me. So it was just an opportunity to to step into that leadership role and to ha- try to create change. And so I was just blessed to be able to do it and continue to do that and be an advocate and be a voice in that space. So when Cash with us here on Forward Progress, what do you love most about the work that you do now? That uh-huh. you sit in these, this very important decision-making yeah. dynamic in the world's finest basketball league. Yeah, um, I love all the aspects of it. I think I, I love the, the fact that I can watch um, young men and, and grown men to um, be able to work and grind every day to achieve their goals. And you're constantly trying to figure out how you can help them be better in every aspect of the business, not just on the court, but they want to grow off the court. They want to have marketing. They want to figure out how to navigate these challenges of the world. That's that's that to me is um, very humbling and, and, and fruitful. But at the same time, I'm loving the knowledge that I'm gaining, getting more um, understanding of our cap, understanding, you know, how we're making moves from a marketing positioning ourselves as a team to be on the global stage at some point. Um, those are the things that for me, that'll help my my personal growth and our growth as an organization. It seems like we keep coming back to growth, right? We talked about it, you know, when you left UConn and, and what UConn means to so many players. But, you know, when you go through four years of college, you're ready for the next step. You're ready for the next level, right? The next league. Whereas a lot of guys that you are coming in contact with now, Swin, these some babies now. They coming straight, you know, from one year of college, you know, one year overseas or a couple years overseas. How do you help them see their development and their growth, whether it's not just the basketball court, but just them as young players try to find their way even in, in America? Yeah, I think one of the things that I try to do is meet them where they are. And people, it's easier said than done. But mm. the reality is, is that we all were at that age at some point. So I understand what it is to be a rookie coming into the league. I understand the expectations of you have to perform right now. Like, what can yeah. you do? Um, I understand player development. Of Sometimes it takes players longer than others. Um, but it can be funny at times. And, like, for me, I try to use different mechanisms to connect with our guys to understand them that sometimes isn't basketball. So I can sit there like right now and I was just having a conversation with Z about, you know, just these new shoes he brought out and, you know, and I'm like, did you design them? Did you have input? Like, and he's like, well, I think it means this. No, I think it means that. So we can talk about being, you know, sneaker culture and what he's trying to do and how Mm -hmm. he's thinking about, you know, his brand and his partnerships. Um, that's important because those guys are like, man, I, I didn't know that you thought about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I had a sneaker deal at some point, you know, like, <laughs> I can talk to you about those things. So right. um, that's that's the cool part of, of my job, too. Swid, I, I want to uh, talk a little basketball about your guy. We, we, we were on many platforms here on SiriusXM, but yes. one of them is NBA Radio. Uh, we, we could argue our, one of our flagship locations. And, and over the weekend, Amino Hassan and, and myself were playing a clip from Zion. And I said after the clip of this in-depth thought and joy of someone else's success. So he's breaking down the play that he set up for somebody else on a night where he scored 38, I think. Right. And the joy that radiated from him in the description, one, was awesome because of the aspect of enjoying what others are up to. Two, was so detailed and insightful. I was like, please, Zion, don't you ever change. <laughs> don't ever become a soundbite robot. Don't do it. 
Uh, talk to us about what you've seen in his expansion in that space in a short period of time. You know, everybody will talk about the basketball part and they're like, wow, like Zion's dominant. He's one on one. He's coming into his own. But what I see is a young man that is loving the game and playing it at a very high level. Um, I covered Zion while he was in college. And the one thing that I loved watching about him at Duke is that his emotion, connectivity to the game, his smile that's invigorating. Um, and people look at him, you see that on the court and you're like, man, he's having a good time. His passion when he gets a certain player a dunk, like that fuels other guys. And um, I didn't see that as much last year, but this year it's it's really starting to, to be there um, game after game, not just because he's dominant and he's, he's playing well, but because he's happy when he's passing to his teammate and kills knocking down an open three or he's, you know, throwing up a lot to uh, Jackson to get the dunk. He's understanding how he can affect the game in so many different ways and still be able to be joyful. Because some guys, you know, if they're not scoring or if they're not, you know, they're not the man that night yeah. or the ball's not in their hand, they have a problem. <laughs> Whereas I see there's something there with Zion that um, really makes me happy and the progression of where he's trying to go is, uh, yeah, the, the sky isn't the limit. It's the view for him. You were explaining what exactly is happening as your head coach, Stan Van Gundy, has made him this point forward this, this this next level of ability, this all-encompassing uh, participation on both ends of the floor is something that is going to be awesome for him, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. His ability um, to, to thrive right now and the role that Stan's put him in, uh, we've been really happy with. I think Griff's talked about it a lot. Trajan's talked about it a lot. It's just that, you know, when you have a player of of his caliber, when you have a young Brandon Ingram that also has a skill set that he can go get his at any time, you have to figure out, like, how you put those pieces together. And I think Stan and his staff throughout this year so far have done a great job of just trying to figure out what they're going to do and offensively, defensively, what they want their schemes to be. Um, but people have to remember, like, I still feel like we're in 2019. Like, this has just been a long two yeah, years. Exactly. No off season. Our young guys didn't get a summer league. So we're still just trying to grow as a franchise and as a team. I kind of want to just stay on Z for one more second, just because, um, you know, with, with this show for progress, we're always talking about also some of the social justice issues that are currently going on in the country. And just to hear you guys talk about Zion, I'm a big Zion fan as well. And you want to keep that youthful joy that he has. But at some point, you know, people are going to look to him for leadership. People are going to look to him to have a voice in what's going on in the community. How do you, separate the two to be able to be yourself but then also people are going to be looking for you for a sound bite hey what do you think about what's going on in georgia what do you think about this or what do you think about this trial going on in minneapolis how do you separate the two uh if he's a young player like like zion well, I'll tell you one thing. If people are going to be looking for a 20-year-old to, to lead us, um, that's part of part of the issue right there. I think <laughs> there are some great people and some great guys in our league. And I, I think Chris Paul and the Players Association have done a great job of educating and getting more information for these guys to understand right. um, in real time what's happening and what's going on. But I think I have to give a lot of credit to, to Zion's parents, especially his mom, um, 
you know, their connection and, and wanting him to grow and to learn and to speak when he's passionate about things. I, I think we don't put pressure on any of our players. What we right. do value is for them to know what's going on, to educate themselves and then to speak when you have an, an opinion and, and what you stand for and where you are. And I think he's done a great job of saying, you know, when I'm ready to speak and when I feel something, I'll do that. If not, they've done other things, whether it's their jerseys, whether it's their shoes, expressing themselves in different ways. And I think we have to not only hold people accountable, um, our leaders and people throughout the country, but we also have to get, let our youth lead us in a way that's best for them. So Zion may lead in a way that is different than Brandon versus is different than Zoe. Whether you right. then you have a vet like Bled who came to us from Milwaukee and his leadership was different with that team. So it's great to celebrate uh, the wrap up of Women's History Month uh, mm -hmm. with Swin Cash, the vice president, uh, with the New Orleans Pelicans. I was just noticing that not only are you a champion and executive in this league, uh, you're also a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. But you were uh, in an inductee in 2020. Have you had your ceremony yet for the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame? No, no. It's actually going to be this year in August. So they pushed awesome. it back. Um, I'm really excited because, um, you know, to have your family and friends. To me, any Hall of Fame induction, it's it's less about me particular, but it's all a celebration of the people around you that have helped you get to the position you were in your career. And so I, I'm looking forward to celebrating um, everyone just during that time and just honored and humbled and um, definitely hoping that, you know, my sister friend, uh, Ruth Riley, <laughs> will definitely be down there with me as well. You know, Swin, uh, recently we saw like the beginning of the women's basketball tournament and sort of the, the, the disparaging pictures we saw of the men's weight room for what they had going on for the NCAA tournament. And we saw, you know, a set of dumbbells and some yoga mats for the women game for the women's game. And I'm saying everything that you've accomplished, everything in college, the All-Americans, the titles and things like that, the way I felt that women's basketball has now taken a step in the, the biggest direction, how it's sort of a, a household thing to now watch, and yet you still see things like this happen. How does that kind of make you feel as, as a sort of one of the, I think I call it pioneers of the women's game? Well, I think for me, um, I never exhale um, because when you exhale, you feel like you lose momentum and we can't um, when you have there's a moment, there's a movement. Now, there were moments that different that had changed the women's game at different times throughout. Um, but right now is a straight um, movement that we have to hold people accountable. We have to hold, you know, the leagues accountable. You have to hold the NCAA accountable. You have to hold these corporate sponsors accountable. Um, and I say this all the time, guys, women are not asking for more than men. Right. We're asking to be equal to when it comes to resources. Don't, I don't want more than I want equal to. So give me the resources that I need to perform at the highest level to make it so that you can have the revenue. Um, I'll share quickly with y'all. One of the things that bothered me so much when I was a player and I was younger and I used to, they used to tell me, Swin, chill out, Swin, chill out. You're, you know, you know, you always get that chill out, you know, let's be thankful that we're women and we're able to be at the NBA all-star game. Well, yeah, I'm happy to be at the NBA all-star game, but why we always got to sit in the stands and why they say that's celebrity role or that that's former players, but we don't have any W players down there. 
you know? And so that would bother me. And so I would ask questions and eventually I was sitting down there and then I get text messages. Well, why are you sitting there? Because I think we should sit here. And we, I think if a legend like Lisa Leslie or Cheryl Swoops to sit there, they should be there. Now, when you go to NBA All-Star, there are seats for legends that come in, WNBA legends, NBA legends that come in. Like you have to speak up on things in order to make change. Another thing that used to bother me a lot, guys, how do you be, how are you in a league that has a sponsor that will have commercials and run commercials and hire these actresses to play basketball players when you sponsor a league that plays basketball? Right. It would irritate me to my spirit because I'm like, they don't value us. So you're sponsoring a league, but you don't do deals. And now I look and I see Chanae's out here doing a DoorDash commercial and this person's doing a commercial. I had more sponsorships when I finished playing in the the WNBA than I did when I played. Make it make sense for me. Make (laughs) it make sense. That's not one I can wear. You nailed it. You nailed it. The way to push for things that now other women are, are embracing as well. We hope you enjoyed the celebration of Women's Absolutely. History Month. We're rooting for you, by the way, to keep making the push to yes. get into the second season as well. And uh, we look forward to visiting with you down the road. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Go Pels. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Swinton Cash, Vice President, New Orleans Pelicans, two-time UConn champion, three-time WNBA champion. Great to have her with us here on the program. Uh, also, thanks once again to uh, Coach Avery for swinging by. It was really great to have him swing through, and congratulations to him. And, and Kirk, you know, listen, if Georgia wants that, that Don Shula Award a second time, yeah. uh, what, what, what better man that wakes up at four in the morning find his way to work uh, to make sure kids are just getting to the school early if they need to. Yeah, uh, that's the one thing that, you know, you got a guy who's fully invested, right? I mean, we could have spent way more time with Coach. I know we had a time limit, but it's people like that who we need more stories of because we kind of see the the ones who have the 13-0 the and 0 seasons and this many guys going into college, but we're not looking at the ones who are truly influencing the young people around him simply i mean just that's just what coach avery's doing he's impacting the community and that's why i'm happy i asked that question like how do kids leave your program they leave as better men like they leave as better men they wanting to impact their community which is awesome no it's the absolute best and uh as we wrap up uh women's history month and turn our attention to uh, spring eternal for so many places around the country that don't enjoy the sunshine that we do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I am I extremely, <laughs> extremely hopeful yeah. that we be get, get beyond open-mindedness for conversations about this all-star game right. in Atlanta and really get some sus- substantive feet in the ground about making that change if, if legislation isn't going to. I think we'll we'll see something in the next coming weeks. Obviously, the opening day is going to really steal the headlines for baseball. But uh, baseball has to kind of you know back back itself up here. They they gotta you know uh, put their money where their mouth is really and, and show that you know what's going on in our country. It's 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 Asian hate is going on. We, baseball, how do you stop it? Because uh, you know I'll, I'm here in Los Angeles, so Shohei Otani is a guy who. You know, with the Angels, I'm going to be watching at night because of how good of a player he is. But we need to make sure that baseball is setting up not only just a good environment for the players, but they're also giving the message to the fans who will be returning back that, look, we're in this together. We understand what the issues are on the outside just as much as what's going on on the inside. 
So thanks again to Coach and Swain for swinging by. We thanks, uh, always thanks to Pernell Brown for laying it down for us. That's Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. You've been listening to Forward Progress, and we'll talk to you next time.